Welcome back, everyone. The Fierce Five is finally back all together. I'm Megan. I'm Divya. I'm Kathy. I'm Genesis. I'm Alice. So this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about family and community engagement. To start off, um, what kind of communication did your teachers have with your parents? Um, so uh, when I was in my high school, my teachers would have family meetings with like not only my parents, but all of the parents of like the students of my parents and then my classmates' parents. But then sometimes there is a meeting that uh, that we could set up, like the parents could set up uh, with the school and then to make an appointment with a counselor and then um, they can have a pri- private like appointment together. And so, uh, yeah, that's how most of the time my parents and teachers are communicating. But since uh, since I was, since the teachers in my school were all speaking English and my, and my parents are not really good at English, so I, most of the time I need to be there to do the translation. Yeah. Yeah, mine is similar with, there's like parent-teacher conferences um, once a semester, and then if kids were like struggling in a course, the teacher would like email the parents about like missing assignments and stuff like that but um that's pretty much it for communication to parents I feel like it's just if their kids were struggling they would talk to them but um for me uh most of my teachers like varied for example like my fourth grade teacher like um she had a really special relationship with my parents because she was able to make my parents feel valuable and important and like one of my parents like biggest fears about like going to like parent teacher conferences was that they weren't able to speak english correctly and my teachers were would not be able to understand them but my fourth grade teacher like specifically was able to be open and honest and she asked like for my parents input and like shared the positives about like my learning behavior and experiences and she made sure to use like verbal and written communication with my parents just in case like there were points they missed like something important during like the conversation um however like I also did have like some teachers in my um education journey where like the teacher didn't seem to have like a bond at all with my parents um like in specific like my sixth grade science teacher she was like known to be like more strict and um many students like did not even feel safe in her like classroom because she like like used to yell at her students so like for like the parent teacher conferences um she didn't have much to say about me or like any of her students and like that would be concerning um to my parents because then they felt like I wasn't participating enough in my classroom which was like which wasn't the case yeah I'm like pretty similar to Megan the only times I can remember my parents communicating with my teachers is during like parent teacher conferences in November and that was pretty much it um and like I also agree with what you said that it was pretty like by case by case basis like if the kid for some reason needed their parents to be involved then they would be but other than that that was pretty much it and I feel like I always think that all parents are involved because both my parents work at high school so they're mm. my mom was someone like <laughs> she saw something wrong with your grading system and like she would email them but sometimes I forget that like some parents like don't really know that their kids are right. 
Um, yeah, I also have the same, I don't know, experiences like both of you. Um, my teachers really only talk to my parents on parent-teacher conferences. Um, also, I think in like sixth grade, I was in like um, this like one like science club and my parents got really close to like the teacher that was like sponsoring that club only because we went on a lot of like field trips that, that my like my parents were invited to over the weekend. But besides that, like it was only parent-teacher conferences and um, like parent and administration meetings in the morning, um, which sometimes my parents were able to go to, but other times like they had work. Um, so yeah, they were too busy to do that. Um, but what also like when it came, comes to like translation, um, I was lucky enough to go to a school that has like a really like um, like majority like Hispanic population. So a lot of my teachers were bilingual and able to speak to my parents, but I still would go with them to parent teacher conferences sometimes um, because I did have like, you know, like a, a few like white teachers. And even though they provided like translators there, um, I don't know, I would still go to translate myself. Yeah, that's like something I didn't really think about because my parents' um, first language is also not English, so like I never, from what they told me, it didn't seem like there was an issue where they would have needed um, someone to like be there to translate for them. But now that I'm like thinking about it, like maybe that's something I didn't consider. And of course, like for parents who have less Eng English knowledge, like that, what could be a really like hard conversation to have and that communication barrier is could like have so many negative effects for kids so yeah I really agree with what you guys are saying about having people there to translate for them just so like what the teachers are trying to convey is clear and that the parents can also have an equal shot at like understanding yeah I was glad that my parents like even though they had this language barrier they still are willing to like set up a private like appointment mm -hmm. with the teachers because uh, I don't know but I guess some of the parents like if I am if I was if I was one of the parents that is not good at like English and then I probably I don't know I, I don't think I could have the courage to set up a meeting with a mm -hmm. foreign teacher because that was I don't know if I could, could fully like explain what I what I feel about my kid, and then I don't know if I could understand what what the teachers think about my kid. So, I think language barriers is a really big like thing that we that most of the foreign parents are struggling. Yeah, especially now, like in COVID, I know like the parent-teacher conferences are becoming more virtual. Like my mom was showing me my brother's like recently, and she was asking me how she would like respond. Um, through like she had to like write a paragraph like it was like describe your child's like strengths and weaknesses and they were using a bunch of big words and I yeah. was, my mom had to like I was writing it basically for her and I was like I feel like that's just a very yeah. complicated way to have to think about how your child is and then also have to express it through written language which we know is like not a skill that a lot of people have especially like academic written English. And that really reminds me of, because I also have a younger younger sister, mm -hmm. and then she is going to the same same like same school that I went to as high school, because uh, that's because the school that I went to have like 
from K to K to twelve. So my my younger sister is also at that school, and my sometimes when my sister has a fever or has a cold, she needs to send an email to the teacher, and then that's when she asks me to do the translation and then send an email to the teacher. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe the school could could implement a like a Chinese. Actually, actually, our front desk is Chinese, but I don't know why they still ask my mom to send a. Cause my mom need to send a direct message to the teacher that is responsible for my sister's course. So I guess that's the problem. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this kind of like reminds me of like when I used to have like parent-teacher conferences. Like I would usually go with my parents because they weren't like able to understand English or even like talk in English. So every time, like, um, the teacher would say something, my dad would always ask me, like, oh, what is she saying? But, like, I just, now looking back, I'm, like, it it was, like, I could have lied in, in that sense. I was like, just about to say, you're yeah. saying, yeah. you're saying I'm perfect. Exactly. It could have been, like, it's not, like, the best route for, like, um, parents and, like, like, the whole, like, barrier, the language barrier can, like, be both bad for students and um, teachers because, like, like the students are like easily able to lie and like they're not even getting their point across so Moving into the topic of confianza, um, what does confianza mean to you and how like will you guys go about establishing it in your own classrooms? So when I was researching it something that stood out to me was how they described it as like like mutual reciprocity meaning it's like to me that meant that like teachers weren't placing themselves like above their students as like kind of like a like I, I don't know dictator is kind of a strong word but like it was bringing them down to the same level like there it was like a becoming a bridge of like understanding where the teachers would reach out to the students and learn more about them and their community and then the students would be able hopefully to trust their educators more throughout that um and yeah i think as when it comes to like the approach or like practical application for that in the classroom um for me i thought that if teachers were to have like guest speakers and materials or resources who are like truly representational of their multilingual students of color in some way like that has a huge impact because it shows that you're welcoming them and their like authentic identities into your classroom rather than like I don't know like following dominant narratives or like subscribing to deficit theory so if you welcome these uh, multilingual learners like into the academic curriculum it kind of makes them more like ready to learn I don't know it's hard to I feel like it's hard to explain but yeah yeah no I agree with like it being like more like equitable and what did you say like reciprocity yeah yeah um because yeah like when I thought of the term confianza I also like thought about that and how um you know like I talked about like the symbolism so like you could easily use the word trust um but like the symbolism behind the term confianza is that you're like you're de you're developing it in your students like using the students language the community's language their family's language and like you're doing things for them but not in your own comfort zone like you are volunteering in their communities partnering with their community groups 
and bringing in their culture and their languages into your classroom. So it's one that's like making them feel, I don't know, safer and more comfortable and like not assimilating into like your own ideas of their culture, their languages, Mm -hmm. but like rather, you know, their culture being like like accurately represented in like your classroom. Um, after reading like the article of Confianza, like I was able to understand what it really meant. Like, um, it basically to me, I feel like it means like feeling support and comfort um, someone has with another person because you have mutual respect for one another and you're like supporting each other and understanding that you guys need to work together to have a positive relationship. And I think that a confianza-based approach in schools like can be beneficial for students because they're able to feel more loved. And um, this uh, approach can also be like can also transform like the schooling experiences for for multilingual children of color if teachers and students are able to share stories about their lives like outside of the classroom. Like um, for example, when the teacher is like able to take the time to like tell the students something meaningful about his or her life. Students are able to feel as if the teacher authentically cares for them and students are more likely to feel at home and feel as if they're cared for if teachers are helping their peers or if teachers teachers are calling their homes about what happened at school or having positive experiences like feeling like a family in the classroom. And um, students not only feel like recognized as learners when teachers make positive comments about them or like their work in the classroom such as like like good job or like um great work but like students feel as if like they belong in the classroom and these feelings um can cause them to believe that like these teachers actually care for them yeah so what i wrote for the symbolism behind the term of confianza is that i wrote that students and educators are able to reach a relationship that is based on the trust and working on the bilingualism of the students. And um, after listening to how the other, uh, our like friends have talked about, uh, I think that um, Confianza is more like a showing a respect to our students and then to tell them they're cared and loved. And then, so I guess one thing I would do in my classroom to, sh- to to have a like confianza based uh, classroom, I think uh, I would ask the students to do some decoration in classroom that represents their own culture, and then in that way, like every time when they enter the classroom, they could feel that they are accept more accepted, and then they're they would be more willing to speak speak out their own opinion instead of listening to what the teacher said. They would be more a, do more feel more free like free to talk about what they think. Talking about like approaches more, um, I want to talk about the integrated schools podcast, which was the first question on our activity guide. Like, what stood out to you guys about what um, Dr. Ishimaru had to say about like more equitable and anti-racist approaches. For me, like, something that said that was their conversation about scripts and norms. Like, I really in- appreciated how they pointed out, like, a lot of the stuff that can happen between families and schooling is, like, a lot of it is unspoken, and it's just really normalized that, like, you m- might not even be able to tell that something um, bad or, like, racist is happening until 
you like kind of break it down later um for me something that i noticed was uh she talked about how she touched on the idea of how like race impacts the reception like for example like she stated in the podcast like parents will talk about coming to the front desk um without a meeting and the reception will be very different if it's a black mother showing up to talk about some issue that um has come up for her child uh, versus a uh, white parent that has something to talk about um, a similar issue and another idea um, is to recognize the disparity in power like um, she mentioned that we can't just bring in people um, together hoping a group of like diverse parents and teachers and principal will collaborate it will just be a bunch of like representative people and we'll create this council or community but um, it's like very common for the voices of professionally like privileged folks to like dominate the conversation versus like those that don't usually talk. Yeah, the podcast really made me realize how important it is because since like the families of the community have so much knowledge of the interests and like needs of their children, that's why it's so important that schools collaborate with the community. Um, it's not gonna lie, before <laughs> this week, I feel like I always just kind of had a view of like when I think of parents intervention with the school I think of like parents yelling at the school about all their faults and saying what I did wrong so so something that I want to like incorporate in my classroom as a future educator is that um, I'm going to be like more open in my classroom and like um, smile and greet my uh, students when they enter the classroom and ask about like their weekends and like more importantly I want to emphasize like showing my human side in the classroom by like sharing like simple everyday information like if my pet is sick or if my children have a basketball or soccer game like so this way like students are able to feel like a complete sense of trust and not just um a teacher and student relationship or more of a relationship where they can come to me and talk to me if they have something that they want to talk about or something yeah i think the podcast did a good job about like emphasizing how important like hearing students voices is because they talked about how like in those school board meetings and those PTO meetings or whatever there should be some aspect of youth leadership where the students come directly to these people that are making decisions for them and like they can talk about their own experiences and bring up what's actually relevant to them rather than a bunch of adults like assuming what's like good for kids so yeah um yeah I also agree with that and like today's um lecture and also the podcast like really stood out to me um especially because of the community organizing work that i do and some quotes that i highlighted during the podcast was like show up step back um reimagine where we view expertise to lie um expertise is in our own backyards and they had yeah they said like the thing about like youth um you know, knowing what youth need. Um, and it's, yeah, that's something that throughout all of high school, um, I'm in this like org that we like started because of the pandemic, um, because all these teachers and like CPS were making decisions for us that like we did not like agree with. So we started the org and we started it with like three, um, um, like three demands so that like, we wanted like pass or fail and we wanted um, I forget what our other demands were were but like we gained a lot of like traction and stuff and we were able to get like CPS to 
listen to us and like we receive like support from the CTU and it's just like you know like as educators we need to like pay attention to these like youth organizations or like our like youth like activists or like they don't even have to be like orgs or activists just like our students telling us like what it is that they need and we need to like yeah like listen to them because like they're the experts on like their their own needs um and like right now I'm like on the you know still on the I guess like the youth and like org side of it but like right now um I found it like really inter interesting that we were talking about like um like as a school community how can we like partner with um organizations in the community and my organization that I work with we're actually hoping to reach out to this one school um like pretty soon like we were literally just talking about it and we had um this lecture and I just feel like yeah like I don't know I feel like we shouldn't have to be the ones reaching out to a school the school should be reaching out to us but I mean obviously like we're still going to like reach out because the school needs a lot of like support and resources but like schools also need to be more proactive in doing that thanks for listening here's five out